Glad to be here again with the latest episode of the Hands-On Business Podcast. And uh, again, uh, I'll repeat myself, keep bringing the feedback because it allows us to change and improve every time we do it. And we will continue bringing, hopefully, quality topics with quality people. And today, we're joined by two of those such people, uh, Joanne Chan uh, and Emma Hoffman. They both work for Shoestring Services. Joanne is the COO of Shoestring Services, and Emma is the co-founder and CEO of Shoestring Services. And we're going to be talking today about how to nail business-to-business lead generation. So uh, I'll start with Emma. Tell me something about Shoestring Services and what you actually do. Yeah, gladly. Well, firstly, thank you very much for inviting Jo and I uh, onto the podcast. Um, To tell you a little bit about uh, Shoestring Services and why we got started, I suppose, um, I've got a background in marketing and entrepreneurship, and I found that uh, initially I found it in Australia, but since then I've seen that it, 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 it resonates globally, I think, that there's really only sort of four options when it comes to marketing for early stage businesses or startups. So either they would have to hire internally, which not many you know, pre-revenue startups can afford to do, uh, or they would have to go to a boutique marketing agency, which can cost an arm and a leg, uh, or outsource to economies of scale, but then you kind of risk local tone. And the fourth option is to uh, upskill internally, but that obviously takes time away from operational activities. So I really just saw an opportunity to set up my own agency around the whole, I guess, brand ethos of delivering high impact, low cost marketing services. And even though we position ourselves as a startup marketing agency, realistically, we work with anyone and everyone. That's just sort of our area of expertise. Okay, thank you very much, um, Emma. And Joanne, have you got anything to add? Um, yeah, I was drawn to Shoestring um, randomly, actually, through our prime service, which is um, lead generation. Um, so that's how Emma found me, and I thought it was brilliant that that's how she recruited me and so jumped on board. Um, yeah, looking forward to sharing a bit more about what we do and how we do it. Excellent. So, I mean, and one of the things you said there, Emma, was that obviously you, you set it up because you're looking at almost like a startup business, but obviously now you do across the piece. So I suppose the question that most people listening or watching would ask is that how do you differ from other agencies? It's a really, really good question. I think that that's really vital uh, for us to communicate to to potential clients. So uh, I think the main the main point of difference for, from our perspective is really our level of transparency. So we've got all of our pricing publicly available on our website. Uh, we don't do retainers or contracts or minimum commitments because we know that our clients need uh transparency and predictability um so i think just having that level of open honest uh conversation from the get-go is what sets us apart okay and is that because that, that is interesting you said public pricing so is that in terms of transparency is that something that you've seen that other agencies don't do then yeah, that's, that's exactly it. I think, um, unfortunately, I think a lot of marketers have a really bad rap for that reason, that there's not very much transparency and not many agencies are willing to, to post or publish their pricing online or publicly because it limits 
uh, what they're able to charge various clients. We've tried as hard as we can to just keep it streamlined across the board for fairness and, again, just, just to for honesty's sake. Okay, yeah, that makes perfect sense. Um, and because I, I, I did do a podcast with uh, another outsourced agency, which just, it, it's more video than, than marketing, but he, do, he does across the piece. And that's one of the things that he, he was saying uh, was about that transparency and getting inside of the company. So I'll ask you a, a similar question to ask him. How do you ensure when you're working with a customer that you become almost like an extension of them? How do you, how do you get that knowledge on board? Because it's, it's very difficult, isn't it? And that's probably one of the things that prevents people from going outside of their own business. I think, um, and, and Joe, uh, you'll, I'm sure you'll have better insights than I do as well, but uh, I think the way that we typically work is we try and sort of reverse engineer uh, the marketing recommendations that we give to any client from when we start working with them. So we'll usually do, uh, I guess we call it a discovery call, which sort of looks at three main uh criteria i suppose so we, we we tend to look at their objectives their timeline and their budget and then try and reverse engineer uh activities and recommendations uh based on those three things so we'll come up with something that will uh achieve their corporate objectives under budget and within their timeline Thank you. i think one of the perks as well of um shoestring services and smaller agencies like ours is that because we are small we can be very nimble um, and what that means is that, you know, we, we can afford to take time up front to really get to know the client. Often the clients are working with one of us or one of our senior members. Um, and we're happy to kind of invest up front in getting to know the client because we expect there'll be an ongoing long-term relationship. Um, so in that way, what we do is not very cookie cutter. Um, and while it is time consuming, you know, in the first few months, what we've seen is we've had clients then stay on for many months because we know them almost as well as they know themselves. Yeah. And, and one of the things you, you said there, Emma, uh, before is obviously objectives, timelines and budgets. So do all of the customers that come to you actually have clear objectives of what they're trying to achieve? Not necessarily. Sometimes they don't. That's also a really good point. Um, I guess, and that's one of the reasons that we refer to it as a discovery call because it is sort of a collaborative journey that we, that we often take with many of our clients just to figure out exactly what it is and help them clarify also what it is that they're looking to achieve and what, I guess, success looks like to them because it does differ from business to business. Yeah, I was thinking that, that's probably quite important because a lot of, a lot of businesses I've worked in or for, um, tend, especially when it comes to marketing, tend to be very woolly around what it is they, they want. So the fact that you're obviously able to then work with them collaboratively and actually, as you said before, I think almost an extension of their department, I think Joe said it, that, that then you're enabling them to actually understand what it is they're actually trying to do where they may come to you not really clear about that, which I think is important to, to just bring out. So moving on to the specific topic of, of lead generation, et cetera. So how, how difficult is it to generate leads for B2B uh, compared to B2C, for example? I personally think um, B2B, generally speaking, is much easier than operating in the B2C space. Um, and I think that's also why a lot of our services, most of our services have gravitated towards 
uh, a predominantly B2B audience um, because there are often very, very, very clear uh, user or client personas. It's very easy to identify who the key user uh, or end client will be. Whereas with um, the B2C side of things, of course, you can run, you know, Facebook ads or Instagram ads and, and target very specifically as well. But there's often multiple personas and they're often a lot less clear and easily identifiable. What actually drew us as well to the B2B niche is that we realized that B2B market is very segmented. There's not, there's no clear solution for B2B companies, um, especially in the lead generation space. So there's a lot more of the traditional advertising, but in terms of, you know, trying to get people to buy a product or your service, um, there's no clear real structure or model at the moment. So that's kind of where we saw the opportunity to kind of really niche down and like grow expertise there. Um, I guess one of the benefits that we see of B2B is that, um, you're, you are talking to you know people representing a company as opposed to individuals. So it's a very different style. And I think, you know, it doesn't translate as well to all that clickbait you see out there of, um, of people telling you ways to sell B2C and different ways that you can appeal to individuals. So yeah, it works really well for us. So, so, so and that's why there's different approaches that would be required in terms of the personas, the fact that you're promoting to a business as opposed to an individual and business uh, and the business persona is probably a bit more defined uh, because it, you, you go as opposed to trying to get individuals who are all very very different. Even though social media tries to tell you, or people try to sell social media tools to you, tell you, oh, they're all the same. This is how you promote to that group of people. When yeah, I think we all know they're different. So in terms of there's obviously a variety of social media platforms. I mean, Emma just mentioned Facebook and Facebook ads. And there's, a, I mean, the, 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 every day there seems to be a new one that I haven't heard of, actually. Um, so are all social media platforms as effective for B2B? Or would you say? No, no okay. No, definitely not. So I would say, um, I would say that if you're operating in the B2B space, uh, LinkedIn is absolutely essential. Um the reason being, and we've seen a lot of B2B businesses also want to interact with things like Facebook, the key thing to keep in mind is that the user targeting is completely different. So Facebook and Instagram, for example, are much more uh, psychographic uh, focus. So your interests, you know, what type of content you engage with, different topics and things like that, hobbies, Whereas uh, LinkedIn is much more, it's still also demographic focused, but on, on, on different uh, elements. So with LinkedIn, for example, you can target by things like job title, industry, seniority, company headcount, uh, whereas not a lot of people, well, less than I guess less than most <laughs> uh, on Facebook would even list their job title on Facebook, which makes targeting much more difficult. Okay, thank you. I think it also about... goes to you know, the sort of hats that people are wearing. So when people, people now know LinkedIn very familiarly as like the Facebook for the workplace. So when they're on LinkedIn, they're almost expecting to interact professionally with people. Um, whereas Facebook, Instagram, even Twitter to some extent, um, I still consider personal domains. Okay, so, so, so that's what you'd say most, the main difference is the Twitter, Facebook, 
accept your Instagram are more what you'd describe as personal, whereas for B2B, you'd always recommend LinkedIn. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, There are obviously other circumstances where that might be different depending on the client, what it is exactly that they're promoting and who their audience is. But as a rule of thumb, I would say so. Excellent. So, So that leads us nicely into LinkedIn then. So how would you use LinkedIn for lead generation and how effective can it be? It would, again, very much depend, I would say, on uh, the business that we're working with and who their target audience is, uh, as well as what their desired call to action is. So, for example, we've seen really, really varying results for our clients, depending on uh, whether they're reaching out, for example, to uh, IT managers versus um uh, compliance managers even, uh, you know, and, and whether the call to action is for them to do um, a software demo versus inviting them to a webinar, for example. So uh, it does vary uh, across the board, but we do everything that we can to sort of, I guess, help guide that decision-making process. Um, and in terms of just to answer your question about how effectively we can target and how, how, how well we can do uh, lead generation, Um, We can get pretty granular um, and just, again, for transparency's sake, we use one of the tools that we have in our arsenal is uh, LinkedIn Sales Navigator. So nothing hugely unique. It's available for public use. uh, But using that, you can can filter down all of LinkedIn's active user base by things like uh, job title, seniority, company headcount, you know, uh, occasionally, even the technology that a company is using. Excellent. And, 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 and what, what are you, do you think are the key things that a person needs to do when you're doing lead generation on, on LinkedIn? Because it's not, if it, was, if it was that simple, because as you said, everybody's got uh, sales, nav- well, not everyone's got sales navigator, but it's readily available. And there's lots of people with sales navigator, but just because you've got the right tool doesn't necessarily mean you know how to use them. I think it's about striking the right balance and having a really clear idea of what you're looking for. So, you know, if you're looking for salespeople in the United States, you're going to get thousands of leads. Um, And the converse is if you get too narrow and be looking for sales leaders in a small town in Massachusetts or something, you're going to get like 20. So I think, um, I guess what we've really fine-tuned is identifying um, the key criteria that we usually need to use and then kind of getting creative. And that's through our knowledge of LinkedIn. For example, if um, we have a recruiting um, company as a client um, who are looking for, you know, for clients themselves. So what we do is actually look for companies who are hiring on LinkedIn and that's an option that you can filter for through the account search function. Um, So yeah, so kind of using those little um, additional um, tricks, I guess, with our sleeves to make sure that what we're looking for is very targeted. Um, once we've clearly specified a high quality pool of targets, it's then about creating a, mes- a messaging sequence that will appeal to them specifically. So stepping aside from a very generic message or a very long-winded um, letter style, keeping it um, organic, natural, um, and yeah, so- sounding like you know it's a r- real conversation. I think that makes a big difference. Um, I mean, everybody, I'm sure everybody listening to it gets the inbox spammed with invites and, you know, automated follow-ups that um, sound very highly impersonal. So I think our, yeah, our point of difference is making sure that every touch is considered to be very human. Yeah, I think that's a really important point. And, and, and if, if you are 
if you're you're working with somebody and someone getting leave from from yourselves, is it is it easy to get the, them off to off LinkedIn on and get on a phone call with them, or would you suggest always try to communicate through LinkedIn? No, I think uh, ultimately the LinkedIn lead generation side of things is a really, really wonderful way to, I guess, warm up what would have been a cold outreach. So it really just provides context for any further conversation. Ultimately, we want to try and move the conversation off LinkedIn uh, and into whatever the desired call to action is. So whether, like I said, it's a demo or a quick call or uh, driving traffic to a landing page, whatever it happens to be, we want to try and encourage the users to take the next step. But to add to what Joe said as well, I think one of the really important things to keep in mind with this type of marketing activity is that it's, it's conversational marketing. You know, you're engaging prospects in two-way conversation to really understand what their pain points are and how you're able to address them, uh, which in a lot of cases is much more effective than, you know, showing an ad and hoping that someone clicks through. Yeah. The other benefit, sorry, I cut you off, Hakeem. Um, especially compared to what we traditionally consider email marketing um, and cold calling is that with LinkedIn, people immediately have access to your profile. So... The minute you send them an invite or message, they can see your face, they can see your bio, they can see your work experience. And I guess that makes it a bit easier for them to build trust in you as opposed to a name attached to an email or just a voice on the end of the line. So in that way, what we often recommend people, you know, it's, it's a holistic approach. It's not just an invite, send a message and you're done. It's making sure that your profile, you know, is telling the same story that you want to tell in your messages. It's making sure that the posts you're sharing, the posts you're commenting on, um, are going to be appealing to your target prospects. Um, so in that way, LinkedIn can be very powerful because when someone then speaks to you or responds to you, you know that the chance of them actually knowing who you are and being interested in what you do is a lot higher. Um, and the chance of them responding is higher because they've had a much better chance to get to know you um, apart from, you know, just text on a page or over the phone. If, if that's a very interesting point, actually. I, never, and I don't know why I haven't thought about it because every time I recruit somebody nowadays, the first thing I do when I get the CV is look on LinkedIn and I then look at the job history to see if that ties up with what they put on the CV and look what the comments and recommendations are. And I remember quite some time ago, actually, I've been using LinkedIn for uh, far, far too many years than I care to remember, but I remember training a group of people about, about eight or nine years ago and I, I remember walking in a room and they're sort of like, oh, well, you used to work at this place and that place and you did this. And, you, and I think, how the hell did I know that? So we check your LinkedIn profile. But as soon as we got the name of who was training us, and as you said, that, that actually was good for me because it actually allowed credibility was already built before I actually stepped in the room because they'd looked at all the stuff I'd done and thought, well, oh, he maybe knows what he's coming to talk to us about because they've checked out the profile. So that's, that's actually a very uh, good point. Uh, whereas, well, yeah, as we talked about before, when you're looking at maybe Facebook, Twitter, yeah, your profile is probably a lot more personal and crafted. So it doesn't really tell you about uh, the credibility of that particular individual. So that's that's actually a very uh, important point, I think. So, okay, so one of the things that I've noticed um, is that most social media managers or social media people in companies are very, very young not necessarily because uh, you have to be young to do social media, but people seem to think that, oh, well, they don't, because young, the, 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 the young are all very active on social media, then they're going to be fantastic in doing B2B social media marketing. 
if, if, if that's true, firstly, um, if it's not, is social media marketing, is those skills that you obviously have and utilize to support businesses, are they things that you could easily learn? Um, that's a really good question. Um, just speaking, like, on a personal level, I'm, except for LinkedIn, I'm terrible when it comes to social media, and I'm really, really happy to admit that. Um, <laughs> I, I would say I would say that the key, uh, for us at least, has been finding, you know, specialists and experts in the area and working with them and really sort of... Uh, not necessarily outsourcing, but making sure that the work is completed by someone who really knows what they're doing. Yeah, um, yeah because, you know, I guess there's a there's sort of, there's a line between being a jack of all trades and a master of none. Um, and we really want to be exceptionally good at what we're good at and the rest we can, we can work with others who are, who are. That's a good question as well of like, um, yeah, just like, you know, is age, age a barrier or how long it'll take to learn? Like what we often find on LinkedIn is that the most active people and the people you get the best traction with are the really senior CEOs and COOs, those, you know, who I guess you would classify to be in the older range and they've adapted to LinkedIn like a duck to water. And I think it's, it's whether you see a value in a specific tool. So for example, like Emma said, you know, I myself know nothing about TikTok would not be able to create a video for you <laughs> but um i do find the concept of like making professional connections and with people outside of my general social circle very appealing and um linkedin does give you the power to do that to network um very easily across you know time zones and boundaries and i think those people who have realized the power of it it's find it very easy to pick up yeah i, I, I guess linkedin similar to similar to the other social media it's basically taking what you would normally do in a normal work environment uh, and in Facebook in a normal personal environment, going out to meet people type environment. But LinkedIn is very specifically about, well, this is what we've always done as, as business people. You, you're going to link in with professional. LinkedIn has just made it a lot easier to do it across, as you just said there, um, Joe, across borders, across boundaries, um, and allow you to connect to people very easily that you'd normally have to go to a networking meeting in person in that country to meet those people. So I think, I think that's, that's a really good point. So, so to my second point in, in there, because it was a long question, if, if I knew nothing about LinkedIn and I wanted to start you know, learning the skills, how long would it take me to do that to become proficient or would it just be easy to come to you? Uh, definitely come to us. Uh, <laughs> no, no, honestly, I think... Um, you say that. <laughs> yeah. um, no, I think, look, I think LinkedIn and a lot of other social media platforms have been specifically designed to be as user-friendly as possible. Um, particularly LinkedIn, I think it's relatively easy to pick up uh, skills very quickly. They've also got their own um, e-learning tools. So you can actually do, you know, short, really short courses on how to use LinkedIn effectively to achieve whatever objectives you want to achieve because people could be using it for very different reasons or wanting to engage for different reasons. Um, so, yeah. Okay. And then uh, we were talking offline actually about some automation tools. So... Could you just give us a quick uh, overview of what an automation tool is? Because some people listening might not know what an automation tool is. Um, and then 
you know, is that, once you've explained that, should people be using automation tools or should we be doing everything manually? Automation is like a very popular term right now, but it can be such a breadth of what automation is. So we're talking about social media scheduling earlier and um, just the ability to pre-schedule posts. That's a form of automation. Um, There are definitely tools out there where you can automate the entire process of sending invites and, um, you know, pre-drafted messaging and follow-ups. And then there's the other extreme where people are using AI um, to, you know, help you, um, suggest ways that you can interact and like suggest like follow-ups and all that so yeah I think you know like everything you know it, it's a matter of what works best for you but also using what is gonna yeah help help you operate best like if you really enjoy uh, you know really engaging and getting to know your potential client then automation is not going to work for you or your client um, if your game is a volume numbers driven game then yeah automation might be a very effective tool for you to reach as many people as possible Emma, you were going to say? Uh, no, I, I think that um, Joe's absolutely covered it. Uh, I would say, uh, yeah, there's, there's um, I think, a really significant shift as well happening on LinkedIn at the moment away from sort of a spray and pray approach towards a more tailored, customised uh, approach. So the more that you actually can... Uh, make your messaging specific to whoever it is that you're reaching out to, the the better for you. Um, can LinkedIn tell if you're doing using automation or manual? Because I know back in the day, uh, when you used to use, um, I don't know if it's changed, but when you used to use some automation tool on Facebook, they'd penalise your posts so they'd share it with less people because they knew that you were actually posting manually. Mm. Absolutely. Um, LinkedIn's getting more and more strict. Um, definitely if you're using a plugin of any sort, usually LinkedIn picks that pretty quickly. They do sweeps every couple of months, I think, at this point. And um, yeah, so it is risky using a lot of the automation tools that, you know, get promise you the world right now. That said, you know, there are ways to um, work with within LinkedIn's boundaries. Um, um, and many um, softwares include um, cloud um, related tools where you're actually using your account just through um, a software, um, which means that you're not, you know, breaching any of the terms. It's just that you're kind of simplifying your workflow. Okay. So yeah. I, I guess the portion we offer is, you know, just be very careful if you are to try automation and kind of don't fall for the first thing that shows up when you Google it, because often those are the people, you know, spending a lot of money. Um, yeah. Just promoting, promoting themselves, but may not actually be within LinkedIn's regulations. And do LinkedIn have any automation tools themselves or all the uh, automation tools like third party? Uh, I think that at the moment they're all third party, but it wouldn't surprise me if um, bringing some of those in-house is is somewhere on LinkedIn's um, roadmap. Okay. And then just on LinkedIn, because I I see a lot about optimising profiles um, to ensure that obviously before you even get to the lead generation, is, is that something that's important to do? Is that something that you help people with? How does that work? Absolutely. Um, I mean, I guess the easiest way to think about it, if you've never really used LinkedIn, is kind of think of it like a dating profile or, you know, if you're selling a house or something. The beauty of LinkedIn is that you're not tied to what you write um, forever. So, you know, if you're looking for a job versus you're trying to sell something for your company, your profile is going to be very different. 
um, and it can be very different. So we off, we always recommend, we always do a profile audit for our clients before we start any of the services with them, before we discuss the messaging. Um, and in that, we kind of, it's part of the discovery call. We understand what they're trying to get out of their campaigns. And then it's a matter of crafting their profile to suit the narrative that they are going to be trying to communicate to their prospects. So for an example, if they're selling, um, let's say medical, medical devices, um, and they recently say join this company, then <clears throat> the about section, you know, should really explain why they've joined the company, you know, what's caused this shift, what is great about this company, um, and what makes them, I guess, what makes them passionate about working in this field. Um, versus if someone was looking for work, it'd be talking about, you know, more with the skill sets and their past experience and, you know, what they're looking for. So I think, and the other thing that goes along with that profile order is that the profile is not static. I think what LinkedIn does very similar to Facebook is that it has a feed, um, which means that anything you post, comment on, or like appears in your feed and appears to your connections. So you can also curate um, the image that you want to project to your prospects through being very conscious about what you're posting, what you're sharing, and what you're commenting on. And that, and that, when you look at a profile on a glance on the LinkedIn page, gives you a really good summary of what a person stands for. You get there, you get a good profile picture, you get a good bio, you see their most recent interactions, and I think those quick snapshots are often what people use to make a quick judgment on whether they want to continue a conversation or start a conversation with someone. Thank you very much. And, and in terms of, because I, I was just thinking that one of the biggest issues that I think businesses find with any social media, actually, and LinkedIn is no different, is that content generation. You know, how, how often should they post? Um, what should their posts be like? <laughs> it's quite a broad question, actually. Um, but but I, I suppose if, if someone's starting, how, how, what would you say should be their, and, and I know it changes depending on the business, but what would their, should they be for their content? Because a lot of people don't have a lot of content when they start and they, they're put off by, well, do I have to post every day? Do I have to post videos, uh, blogs, etc.? cetera? What, what would your advice be in the first instance? I think posting what you're most comfortable with, um, it's always going to work best. Um, there's a lot of statistics that show that video gets the most engagement, but these metrics are constantly changing. Like for example, right now, LinkedIn is heavily um, encouraging people to interact with their news sites because I think they're trying to create more of a community um, discussion model. So they highly reward and they highlight users who comment on their LinkedIn um, news posts themselves, who engage with others' posts as opposed to sharing your own content. Um, but you know, that could change in three to six months. Okay, thank you. And then, um... There's a question I was just about to ask, and it's gone out of my mind. Um, what were we going to say before, Emma? Uh, while Hakeem is thinking of what he was about to say, <laughs> uh, <laughs> I was just going to say off, off the back of what Joe said, another really interesting thing to keep in mind about any LinkedIn lead generation campaigns is the long-term uh, and the long-tail implications. So uh, because you are connecting with these prospects, they'll be in your LinkedIn network forever, which means anytime you do post content, it will show up in those prospects' news feed, which keeps you, you know, constantly top of mind and relevant. So even if they, for any reason, don't respond to the automated messages or the LinkedIn messages that you do send, um, they will they'll still see anything that you post. So my perspective uh, on how frequently you should be posting, if you've got, you know, highly engaging content, post it as often as you want. 
Um, I would probably advise against just creating content and creating noise for the sake of creating it. Um, it it's much more important for, for whatever you are posting to be relevant and engaging and of high quality. And, and does, it, does LinkedIn have like an algorithm to show to people? Because I know, I mean, I, I talk a lot about Facebook because I used to do a lot of Facebook mark, marketing uh, in the old days. Uh, and obviously they have an algorithm in terms of they show a certain percentage of your, in, on, in that case, followers or, or of your page, your content. Is LinkedIn the same or does it, just everybody in your network have access to your content? To be honest, I don't know. I think um, I wouldn't be surprised. And obviously the algorithms change so frequently, but I wouldn't be surprised if LinkedIn gives some sort of priority to people or prospects who have a high level of engagement with their posts. So for example, a high number of likes and comments and things like that, or that they post regularly and they use certain hashtags. Um, but I don't think that that's necessarily, um, I don't think that necessarily means that they're not showing content from other people. I think that they would just sort of rank or prioritize that content higher. One of the really interesting things I've noticed, sorry to, sorry to interrupt Hakeem, um, no but with LinkedIn is that unlike um, Instagram or Facebook or Twitter, what the algorithm often does is that it will show you posts from your connections from like a week or a few weeks ago. Yeah. And I think it's very much about like, you know, a timely what's, you know, what's trending right now. And then they actually go back, you know, through past posts and hashtags and highlight previous things, which is, it's amazing because you could have posted something really great, you know, three months ago had okay engagement, but something comes up that's trending. So LinkedIn then elevates that again in everyone's feeds and you get kind of a second pass um, using the same content. Um, so in that way, I think, in, I mean, right now, the algorithm is being is working quite well, I think, for some profiles who consistently produce good content. Well, it's, it's interesting, actually, because that, that explains it then, because uh, I've, I've had a couple of posts where people, which I've posted maybe, I don't know, uh, a month ago, two months ago, then all of a sudden I've seen people, you know, it's popping yeah. up and that person has commented on, I'm thinking, I posted that ages ago. Why, why, yeah. are, they, why are they just commenting now? Uh, so, that, so that obviously explains that. And that, so in terms of that, when you're talking about content, what uh, it, 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 do you get penalised if you were, to, you were to repeat posts? Because obviously, you know, on Google, you've got lots of issues around duplicate content. So if I posted something like two months ago, could I post something similar or the same thing this month, would that be penalised because I've already posted it? Is that a bad idea? I'm just trying to get an understanding of the, uh, of the I think going back to what I was saying, there's almost almost like wasting, I guess, your your feed space by reposting because LinkedIn might very well do that for you itself. Okay, yeah. Um, so I think, you know, if you have new like a new insight or some other um, relevant, um, you know, article that's been posted on by a different website to share, um, you could refer to it and then share it again. But I would say there's almost no point to repost the same thing because LinkedIn is already doing that for you. Okay, yeah, makes sense. And, and Emma, you were going to say something? No, I, I totally agree with Joe. I think um, there'd be very, very, very little SEO benefits from, from posting the same content. Um, yeah, I, I, I don't believe that you would be penalised in any way, but I just don't think that you'd get very much upside. Okay, no problem. And then um, I'll, I always ask the, the key steps because people are always, that's what people like. They want to know, right, well, give me a one to five of what I need to do. So 
if you had to give five key steps for effective lead generation, what would they be? I think um, having a clear idea of who you're going to go, who, who you want to go after, we call that the ideal customer or client profile, so the ICP. Um, once you have a clear idea of that, I think the next thing is to make sure your profile is then updated to speak to them and to speak to what you're hoping to sell or pitch. Um, the next thing is then coming up with um, very clear, sharp and organic messaging like we spoke about earlier. So having a very clear call to action. Um, yeah, making sure that, you know, it's going to resonate with that specific audience within the ICP. Um, and then, you know, once you've identify them instead of reaching out to them, I guess what people often forget is that you can't just send a message and forget, like the follow-ups are almost as important as your original message. So being very timely with your follow-ups and making sure that you're checking in with people. And I think yeah, the last the last step, I guess, is to make sure you're well-rounded. So you make sure you're, you're active on LinkedIn, that you're sharing posts, that you're commenting on things. And so, you know, you're taking advantage of that initial invite acceptance by then continuing to top of mind for these prospects, even if at the first instance they may have said no to you. And even though, and I'll come to it just shortly there, uh, even, even though it's a business platform, would you would you make all your content about business? Would you do a mix of business personal? How, how would you balance that up? Because obviously the other platform, they're all, you know, the, the general rule of thumb is if you're going to use business, then do one business post and then three non-business posts, etc. Is LinkedIn the same or...? done a really good job of that yourself like I think yeah people do appreciate when you post something that's not business related it's a bit more personal a bit more funny I've seen you share posts or share some things about your family themselves so I think yeah it's kind of you yeah, know, my wife doesn't like that <laughs> <laughs> she keeps saying stop, stop posting about me now why do you keep posting about me <laughs> Um, but I think, yeah, the, the posts that you see go really viral on LinkedIn are those that are not necessarily professional focused. Mm. It's like people sharing their personal journeys or um, an experience they've had. But obviously, I think the, the really interesting thing someone said to me once about LinkedIn is that it, LinkedIn's great because you don't ever get negative feedback. You don't really get negative feedback. You don't have the trolls like you have on mm. Facebook or on other social media. People are generally polite and have their professional face on. Yeah. Um, which makes it like a really great place to share like stories about winning or about perseverance. Um, and generally, yeah, you can like, it, I guess just don't take advantage of that. Yeah. <laughs> that. And, and Emma, if I, if I was asked to ask you for your top five, would they be the same with Joe's or would there be any differences? No, no, I, I completely agree with Joe. I think we're very, very aligned on this. Um, yeah. Okay. And, and if there was, um, we haven't finished yet, so don't get too excited. But if you had one thing that you had to leave people with, what would it be about LinkedIn or just lead generation in general? I think mine would be um, don't be afraid to put yourself out there. I think people get very nervous because it is your personal profile. Um, you know, you are reaching out to strangers. But from our experience, more often than not, people are very happy to connect with people and get to know others. So overcoming that initial fear, I guess, of interacting with the unknown is a big thing. Okay, thank you. Emma? Uh, mine's, <laughs> mine's probably a little less inspiring than Joe's. <laughs> but um, I was going to say just just keep it short and sweet. Like I think a lot of people feel compelled to write you know a few paragraphs of information about why they're reaching out what they're doing and everything like that and really pitching in the first message um but what we've seen 
through a huge amount of experience is the shorter and more, more concise a message is, the more likely you are to get a response because it won't feel salesy or spammy. It needs to sound, you know, organic, conversational. Um, yeah, so just keep it short and sweet. Okay. I think they tie in together though because, like, yeah, I think people do kind of talk themselves out of doing this because they're like, we have to write a perfect introduction letter or message to their perfect prospect. But, yeah, like, that's that's not a thing. Like, I think you're much better off sending a quick hello that I'm interested in you and then let that conversation flow organically. I yeah. think it's uh, similar to what we, we were just talking about in terms of the networking. If you went to a networking event and you're introduced to somebody, you wouldn't give them a five-minute yeah. introduction to yourself. Would you say, <laughs> well, I'm Hakeem and I, this is what I do, blah, blah, blah. People be diving for the door. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so I think that's very similar in terms of LinkedIn, isn't it? You, you want to try and replicate human interaction rather than uh, as you said emma just come off as well oh he just trying to sell something to me not really interested in connecting or uh, anything we're talking about so so moving on i always do a few quick fire questions just to um uh test people's metal uh no not really um so, so the, the first one would be you've obviously worked with lots of companies uh, and you don't have to use a particular name but what's the best lead generation or best effect you've seen in lead generation in the time that you've been working uh all right um one one client that we've been working with recently actually i think blew joe and i away <laughs> completely um we're working with a client who's interested in fundraising so they wanted our help to uh reach out to and communicate with venture capitalists uh predominantly in the united states um and the response rate from that uh was phenomenal i think they managed to book i think it was i think it was close to 80 pitch calls within three weeks wow. which is phenomenal like i think they end up overwhelmed <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> and now did you do something differently on that or was it, it was different with the, the the audience or the fact it's fundraising what what do you think was the the main differentiator between that and other campaigns yeah i think that's a really really poignant question um i think that it definitely has a lot to do with the audience i think that there are other audiences on linkedin um that have a little bit of uh, burnout, I would say, like they've been exposed to a lot of messaging and so they're a little bit fatigued. Um, whereas I think investors and venture capitalists are specifically on LinkedIn looking for opportunities. So that was a benefit to us to, to begin with. Uh, but I think it also came down to uh, how well we were able to help them craft the messaging um, and as well as the the actual prospecting, making sure that the, the people that we were reaching out to were going to be relevant. Okay, yeah, that's that. And then converse, what John would ask, what's the worst one you've ever seen? And, and definitely don't tell me who that is. <laughs> um, I think going off what Emma's saying, it's like, I think thinking of like, you know, the, the situation, the world circumstances is very important um, in any sort of lead generation, but LinkedIn as well. So um, what we had, for example, a, um, a property software company did very well at the start of COVID because they had a COVID-related um, product being launched. With what we're seeing right now in the, in the real estate and property um, game, you're getting a lot more fatigue. So people, I think, um, are very, they, they've just been hounded, you know, over the last few weeks or months and they're tired. And I think 
yeah, so that that's I think that's been one of our poor, poor, poor performing campaigns. I think the other ones are when we reach out to people who you wouldn't expect to see on LinkedIn. So I think you know we've you know um, like very small brick and mortar mom and pop stores, for example, or like people who are maybe more active, like running gyms or like yoga studios or something. Um, those you wouldn't expect to be spending time on LinkedIn, surprisingly, don't spend time on LinkedIn. So for oh. <laughs> no reason there, um, it's a bit moot. Okay, no I think um, I think Joe's right. I think that the timeliness of the campaigns definitely, definitely makes a big impact. Um, just going back to one of the examples that Joe mentioned about bricks and mortar businesses. Just anecdotally, we were working with a client uh, just when COVID nineteen was really starting to kick off, um, and they were basically selling a software platform into retail businesses. But it was at the time that. There were a lot of lockdowns here in Australia, so it, it was difficult, I think, for them to really gauge a lot of interest because those business owners had a lot of other things on their minds. So seasonality and, and things that are happening in the macro environment are also important to take into consideration. Okay, thank you very much. And then what's the best advice you've ever been given uh, in terms of business Ironically, I think it goes back to what Emma was saying, but like one of my very first mentors um, told me about the KISS theory, which is keep it simple, stupid. Yes. And I love it because I think that applies in every, in every way, like your messaging, um, how you approach problem solving, um, how you approach interactions. Yeah. Excellent. And Emma? Um, okay. So totally unrelated to, uh, <laughs> to the running of a marketing agency, I would say. But um, I think the best, the best business advice that I've ever received that has really, really stuck with me is um, actually my dad said to me a long time ago that you can have anything that you want in life as long as you're willing to pay the price. Um, and I think that that's true so much when you're, when you're running your own business and, you know, you've got sacrifices to make and you want to figure out your priorities and things. So... Yeah. Well, that's very sage advice indeed. <laughs> um, and then my penultimate question. Oh, sorry. <laughs> my penultimate question. If you were able to go back in a time machine, what advice would you give to your younger self about success? Just take more risks. Yeah, I say success isn't defined by a university degree. So what did you do at university? I did law and commerce. Ah, well, you did commerce, so commerce <laughs> is kind of linked. Uh, but maybe, maybe not the law. But I don't know. I don't. I don't know how much you get involved in contracts, etc. So, so it, it may it may be perfect for what you're doing at the moment. <laughs> and then the last one, which is completely unrelated to anything, but I just I'm just always nosy and want to know if you had an opportunity to meet a famous person, living or dead, who would it be and why? That's so hard. <laughs> yeah. That's one. I think I really love to meet Michelle Obama. <laughs> this is funny. The last one I did, uh, the two people that were on both said Michelle Obama, actually. So I, I forced the other person out to give me another. another. But so, so it's interesting. <laughs> so, 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 so why would you say Michelle Obama? And I kind of compare notes. Because she seems to be very popular at the moment. Uh, her book is, the book is fantastic, um, but just 
just what she's achieved on her own, let alone um, together with Barack Obama is incredible. Mm. And um, I think as a woman, especially, it's just really inspirational to read stories like that for people that, you know, have overcome or like have, have lived through a difficult life and come out and just done incredible things and remain with, stay with so much grace throughout mm. it all. Excellent. Emma? I, honestly, I don't know. Um, I think you're going to have to come back to me on that. <laughs> too hard to choose. So no, no one off the top of your head that, that you think, oh, I, I would love to meet that person. Um, well, there's too many, I think. Um, and I don't think any for, like, good enough reasons. Uh, so, no, I'll, I'll think about it and I'll come back. Hey? Okay. What about a really trashy reason? <laughs> Yes, exactly. It doesn't have to be a good reason, actually. That's, that's, <laughs> that's, that's a very good point, actually. We're, we're, we're talking uh, the very erudite reasons of why we choose individuals, but it doesn't have to be. Yeah, no, I'll, I'll, I'll come back to you. I'll come back to you. <laughs> <laughs> no problem. Well, thank you very much, uh, Joe and Emma. It's been illuminating. I'm hoping that the people listening and watching uh, will have picked up some tips on uh, B2B and how to actually really drive lead generation in that sphere. So I appreciate it and um, we will we'll get this posted and, and hopefully we'll get some good feedback as always. Thank you very much. Thank awesome. you. Thank you.